Good day and welcome to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. This is Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer of Majesco. I'm really thrilled today to have two of our partners from Deloitte joining us for a really fascinating podcast today. First off, I'd like to welcome Avi Bakri and then Mark Yost. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Denise, for having us again. Mark, why don't we start with you? Give a little bit of background about yourself, what you do at Deloitte, any perspectives on our strategic partnership, and then Avi, if you could do the same. Sure. I am Mark Yost. I Maybe an important thing to understand about me is that I'm an actuary by background, but more importantly and more relevant to this conversation, I'm one of the leaders of Deloitte's group insurance practice spend my time serving clients in the group sector. Particular areas of focus relate to anything quantitative or, or anything that can help insurers understand and solve for strategy or operational issues with a quantitative focus. This is Abhi Bakri. I'm also a leader in our group insurance practice, focusing on both life annuity group carriers. And like Mark said, deep within group standpoint, but how do you leverage, you know, technology to drive business outcomes, whether that's op- operations, whether that's digital, whether that's strategy. So really uh, focusing on bringing those three pyramids together, if you will. Happy to be here alongside Mark. So we've got an actuary and an operational perspective today, which will be a fascinating one. And Mark, I love actuaries because I tend to be analytical in nature myself as a math major. So guys, we just finished a roundtable with leaders in the industry. And one of the topics we talked about was the changing demographics, some of the new markets and channels, and then this increasing customer expectation that has really accelerated due to COVID and that there's really been a stronger interest and demand in voluntary products over the last year, both for some of the traditional products like life and short-term disability and critical illness, But even some of the newer products, such as identity theft and pet insurance, are starting to emerge. Talk about why that shift is going on from your perspective and what the implications and opportunities are for group insurers. Mark, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah, some perspectives here. You know, I think the trends you highlight, Denise, were trends that were already in play before the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, I, I think a lot of companies were already thinking about the future of work, how to reconsider where work is done, how work is done by whom. That caused people to consider how to deliver benefits to a different, more diverse set of employees. When you throw in, you know, the the COVID pandemic and the fact that people didn't want to locate and couldn't locate for several months in a row, it, it caused many carriers to kind of consider how they address contract workers, remote workers, and providing benefits to them. You know, I, I think it's a trend that was already in play and we just had an accelerant here. And I think there's nothing like a global pandemic to make people appreciate the value of in- insurance generally, right? Oh, you know, absolutely. If, if I have a cancer or critical illness policy, it just seems like it became more valuable now that I've had to question my own health status. Yeah, for sure. Abby, what's your thoughts? I certainly echo the sim- similar thoughts. I think if anything, the role of, especially the supplemental products has become even more critical uh, from at least a U.S. standpoint. So we we observed similar trends from a market perspective. One of the things that we talked about, Mark, you've highlighted is really about some of these forces around the future of work, where and how people are doing work, and then, you know, health reform that has been kind of going on, 
and the pandemic kind of accelerated this. Do you see some trends, some new trends emerging guys that are really going to kind of come out of all of this that are kind of bringing a number of these things together? Mark? The fact that a lot of aspects of the value chain, both the value chain for insurance, but also the provision of benefits at the employers has been getting digitized. I think that that will underlie a lot of pivots that I think insurers are going to have to make to be ready for the future. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, really Abby uh, has done a lot of research on is carrier connectivity uh, through the employers and into the employees, really having data kind of efficiently pass from employer to broker to carrier, or uh, potentially even bypassing the broker straight to the carrier. That, that enables, in my view, a better understanding of the customer on behalf of the insurance company. I think this digitization um, has not just impacted kind of connectivity in the HR and the Ben Admin platforms for the carriers. I think the rate of digital adoption over the course of the pandemic has also created a few other shifts. I think of things like the disability claimants being more likely to accept a, a digital form of payment for their benefits is kind of a key example. We've, we've heard a handful of our clients say, look, the rate of adoption of receiving digital payments has, has increased kind of a, in a step function over the course of the pandemic. Abby, talk about that connectivity. And I know you've done a lot of research and we talked about that in our recent roundtable that there's kind of these traditional areas of connectivity, but it's really kind of expanding beyond that uh, that's really allowing for some really a better focus on operations, but even a focus on being able to do some innovative uh, partnerships or offering value-added services or a lot of different things. Uh, sure, Dennis. So to put things into perspective, I think you need to look at that connectivity aspect from an ecosystem standpoint, right? As we know, as Mark talked about HRIs and Ben admins and payrolls, depending on the segment, you are entrenched with a variety of different partners. Traditionally, you know, the way carriers have interfaced with some of these partners was through file feeds and EDI and whatnot. Over recent, I don't know, I would say like three to four years, there's been increased investments in, in the space within, you know, APIs and being able to electronically ingest that data from those third-party partner platforms, if you will, right? It gives you a couple of different advantages. One advantage is, you know, it's it's really giving you access to a lot more cleaner data set from an employee standpoint. And really that, that allows you to take out, you know, efficiency, right? And it gives uh, first bill as an example, very critical, getting accurate or list bills generated, right? But more so, it also gives you an ability to now connect to some of these hubs themselves. And as an industry, finally, you know, you're seeing some innovation happening, you know, in terms of, you know, really starting to think about that holistic, you know, health, wealth, you know, financial wellness propositions, you know, can, can we do something for, for carriers that have both retirement as well as, you know, employee benefits, they're trying to see how do you drive cross-pollination from the plan administrator and plan sponsor standpoint, whereas traditional group carriers really are trying to find other moments that matter, you know, uh, whether that's claims or enrollment to see if you can add some additional value-added services uh, to, to those customers. But the focus really is, again, deepening that relationship as you get better connected, better access to clean data, 
uh, can can you find additional opportunities to differentiate and go to market? So, so we are starting to see that. I don't think anyone has made major plays there, but uh, we definitely see some chatter in the market. So one of the interesting conversations that we had was around kind of innovative new products for voluntary benefits. And particularly, you know, when we have a whole different kind of workforce, we've got now gig employees, uh, we've got such a broad range of demographics across multiple generational groups, you know, from a Gen Z and a millennial to the boomers to even, you know, Gen X's, um, you know, and so that range of demographics really kind of creates a challenge, I think, for voluntary benefit providers, because not everybody is at, a, at the same place in their life, and they have different sets of needs and expectations. And so one of the things that we talked about was really this concept of maybe instead of just thinking about having just the traditional sets of insurance products that are available for voluntary benefits, you might have, a, have to have a broader portfolio breadth or variations of those products that fit a better set of those generational groups. And that concept, you know, was kind of reinforced by kind of a voice of the customer conversation we had. And I think that was a real kind of eye-opener in the conversation because I think we've kind of traditionally gone into uh, providing a plan with different products and those products were all the same for everybody. It was kind of one size fits all, but in today's world, that personalization and really meeting their needs has to have a different kind of perspective. So Mark, as the actuary and the person who's often involved in a lot of the product related stuff, give your perspectives on that and what, what that means for insurers and how do they need to start thinking about products differently? Well, there's a lot to react to in that one, Denise. So, <laughs> yes, uh, there is. Yes. So take your time, Mark. And there is. And then just Mark, as you articulate your response, I think, you know, towards the end, you have personalization with an eye towards profitability, right? Like that's yeah. something important for you to sort of, you know, cover as well. Right. And I think as I'll put on my actuary hat now and wear it proudly, when I say you know, there is kind of this tension within this concept of providing really personalized to the customer level sort of products. And I think that tension is if you give each person uh, coverage of the risks that exactly match their profile, you know, there's a, a chance that you're customizing too much and you're enabling customers to select against you, right? So that's just me being an actuary and worrying about the potential downstream claim and profitability implications of, of over-customization. But at the same time, you're right, Denise, when I think about you know, which products are hot in the marketplace, for example, I don't know if any single product is hot especially, but I do think maybe the hot product concept is being able to bring the whole breadth of of products. Even if we go back in our time machine, back to the advent of health reform, and everybody was certain that insurance product or benefits would be delivered through private health insurance exchanges. No group or voluntary carrier wanted to be closed out of any potential opportunity because there may be only a limited number of slots on the private exchange for a given employer. So if they wanted to have one of those coveted slots, they needed to bring this breadth of, of product. And so that, that's what I think was really the impetus for many carriers to start building out critical illness, cancer, hospital indemnity, accident-only components of their product portfolios. And now most carriers have that. I think really differentiating on, you know, my critical illness product is better than yours, I think a tough play. And so I think to, to instead be able to say, in addition to um, having this breadth of product, I can provide you the, 
the tools to enable your employees to understand which products are right for them. So not only do I have the, the broad product portfolio, I have something for each of your employees that's going to be important to them in various life stages. And I'm going to help them or help you to help them find which products are, are right for them and you know, which coverage levels and amounts are, are right for them at various stages of their lives. Abby, thoughts? To my earlier point, and I'm, I'm not <laughs> trying to pick on you, but personalization at, you know, in a rightful manner, right? I think product is one, but if you do holistically apply the, the concept of the entire plan and the employer specifications and how you're going to administer from an operation standpoint, there is an aspect of personalization or customization there as well. So while you do on the product side want to drive that personalization across the employer base, but in the sense of how you administer those plans or create those plans, I think those need to be done in a lo- more thoughtful manner because you don't want to be all things, all people from an operation standpoint, because that erodes profitability pretty fast, uh, which we see today, especially with carriers, you know, entrenched with all the legacy technology and being able to offer multiple billing divisions at unprecedented level, even on, you know, some of the smaller case sizes becomes really bottleneck from, from an administration standpoint. So personalization is good in terms of those product recommendations, but I think that operational uh, lens is also critical to make sure uh, at the plan level, you, you are offering the right set of standardized uh, plan specifications, if you will. I don't maybe know, Mark. You know, the if... word personalization, maybe it really gets to approaching it from the customer which is not just the company buying the insurance on behalf, you know, offering it on behalf of wanting to have it access to their employees, but it's from the employee perspective is to your point, I think Abby and Mark, both of you were kind of commenting on this is how do you make it simple and easy? How do you make it understandable? And how do you create a kind of a consistent experience? Because if you've got products that are offered by say five or six different carriers, all of a sudden you've got five or six different kinds of experiences where if you're able to provide that breath, as you were saying, Mark, you can kind of create more of a consistent experience and more of a holistic experience that will seem even personalized. And yet, Abby, I think could even be, um, you know, you could operationally do that really effectively. Guys? Correct. I think um, a word that I like to use in conversations like this, Denise, is configurability, right? I I think in a perfect world, carriers would be able to go down to even very small cases and offer all the bells and whistles that they they provide to their largest clients. But they can't because, you know, certain things just take scale. You know, dedicated 1-800 number for customer service, branded uh, dental cards or whatever, those things are, are hard to pull off when you don't have the scale there at the um, group level to, to handle it. We, we do see lots of companies making really big technological investments in new policy admin systems, new claim systems to enable some of this configurability to do things that were once manual with machines, you know, to be able to bring that service further and further down market. I think it's really important for a company to understand how configurable they can be on what dimensions of their product offerings can they offer a higher level of service and what dimensions of that sale that they should not so that they don't make commitments that are going to cause them to erode profitability like Abby previously mentioned. 
It's a dual-edged sword, right? And, you know, if you remember in our recent voice of customer in the last round table, we, we did have the employer participant. She was like, you know, it, it does create nightmares for them in terms of management, right? So that was a very interesting shift in terms of, you know, now employers themselves, you know, okay to sacrifice some level of customization, but as long as, you know, the experience is smoother and the administration is simpler and, you know, we are moving away from file feeds and to simplify that administration as well. So one of the things that we've kind of been kind of touching on a little bit here really gets into the connectivity issue. I think a little bit of this personalization and trying to help simplify the whole process is around the availability of quality data. The access to some of this data, including some of the employee data, and with advanced analytics, AI machine learning capabilities can really make an impact on enrollment and underwriting and servicing and claims and really help drive not just operational efficiency to your point, Abby, but Mark, to your point, at being able to really kind of make sure that we're meeting the needs of the employees and you can potentially get greater enrollment into some of the products that also can drive uh, better profitability. Mark, why don't we start with you? I think, you know, increasing enrollment on voluntary coverages ought to be the, you know, the highest priority of any group insurer that has those products in their offering, which, which is basically everyone at, the, at this point in time. And I think the reason why optimizing enrollment is, is so important is, you know, there are lev- other levers you can pull to increase the top line, but I think the other major levers tend to disrupt culture or erode profitability. So yeah, you can probably further discount product and, and increase your win rates, but that's going to erode profitability and, and challenge your ability to deliver at scale. You know, yes, you can go pursue more opportunities, but that's going to require you to expand your sales force, you know, meaningful increases in your amount of at-bats. And, and you know, large increases to sales forces are, are, tend to be disruptive to culture. So if you can instead focus on enhancing enrollment outcomes, getting higher participation rates in your coverages, that has the benefit of you know, increasing your top line, but it also has the advantage of increasing the broker's commission revenue, and it makes the em- employer client pretty happy too because they feel that they've provided a benefit that's valuable to their employees. Now, I do believe that predictive analytics slash artificial intelligence, whatever catchphrase you want to use to get at this, is a key tool to enhance these enrollment outcomes. Yes, you are with connectivity into a a Ben Admin platform, you're able to understand potentially in real time, not just how many males you have age 35 to 39 and 40 to 44 and 45 to 49. You can actually know who those males are and their exact age, potentially date of birth, depending on uh, data covenants and agreements and business associate agreements, you may be able to know quite a, quite a bit about the employees you're now covering. You may be able to know them on, on the same level that a health plan knows their customers. And, and, and by the way, health plans need to know their customers in real time so that they can adjudicate claims very quickly. And maybe that's a lofty goal for group carriers to, to aspire to as well. But regardless, I believe that the additional information that you can know about your customer can help you to, to drive predictive analytics to help accelerate what your models tell you are very good risks through your medical evidence of insurability process. So they have fewer drops in the process. I also think kind of there's a future state 
in which even pre-enrollment, you, you can score people on the likelihood to get through these processes and give people a, a really quick acceleration through this process if they happen to be good risks based on what your models and the data that you now have access to through your connectivity to the Ben Advent platform provide. We could go on this tangent for a very long time, Denise. So if, if there's any, anywhere else you want to dig, happy to go there. Yeah, Abby, I'll, I'll let you add any thoughts to this. No, like Mark said, like <laughs> we can we can really go just have a session just on this. Uh, I'll, I'll reserve my comments for other yeah, topics. I think, I think the so. whole concept, I, I think in this segment in particular, you know, we've seen the use of, of data and, and AI machine learning, particularly on the uh, property and casualty side particularly around um, individual related products. I think we're at a point where there's a, some real opportunities, as you were saying, Mark, that we could begin to explore and exploit um, these technologies to really you know, drive better um, enrollment. And that's just like, that's like the first step. And then there's a whole, you know, there's a whole series of things after that, that once you kind of get that figured out, you can begin to kind of expand and it kind of go across a breadth of things across the value chain and begin to explore and uh, test some things out. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges for many of these insurers is the access to data. And I think that gets to some of this connectivity, Abby, that you were talking about previously in the legacy technologies, not having clean data, but not even having a data structure, let alone you know, the ability to do APIs to be able to dynamically pull in data. That's really kind of driving uh, some of the, the limitations and where, you know, we talked about the real need for next generation core data and other types of technologies are really going to be a fun, fundamental foundational uh, need for many insurers that have kicked the legacy can down the road. Thoughts on that and how that might accelerate? I can take that one. So yes, answer to your question is yes. And acceleration has happened, I think. And more than acceleration, I think the pandemic has sort of forced carriers to innovate and digitally transform in areas, non-traditional areas, you know, such as sales and service, being able to drive better quoting, being able to do pre-sales and servicing better in a virtual world. So that has happened. But the core sort of, you know, back office platforms, you know, around policy administration claims, you know, we do see Finally, you know, some critical mass, pretty much everyone is on that journey to some extent, and it will be interesting to watch. How do you see that shape up, you know, various operating models of these carriers? How do they get better sort of, you know, volumes uh, through conversion or other means onto this new platforms as we look towards the future? That's something to watch out for in the near term, beyond just the acceleration on the transformation side. Yeah. And then going back to your earlier point, I think enrollment is great, but we do see, you know, AI, uh, analytics, uh, some of these other modern technologies play a big role, you know, upfront during case installation, during the busy season or downstream from a claims and adjudication standpoint, right? Predicting better outcomes. So there's definitely opportunity to even expand beyond enrollment. I just wanted to cover that as well from the previous topic. I'll get a little bit nerdy actuarial on the audience here. So I hope everybody forgives me. But from time to time, I have the opportunity to evaluate the, the balance sheet liabilities of insurance companies and health plans. 
there's this a balance sheet item called incurred but not reported claims. And so at the end of the year, the company says, this is how many claims I expect that I'm, I will have incurred that I just don't yet know about. And for like a prescription drug benefit, for example, everybody's got this drug card sitting in their wallet and they have to present it at the time of the claim. When um, that claim happens, it's automatically adjudicated right there on the spot. Money gets to the provider almost instantaneously. The IDNR balance is zero. But for disability claims and the like, I, there are huge IBNR balances because it takes so long from when that claim is incurred till when the insurance company is notified. And when they go through that process of adjudicating that claim, one of the really big components of it is just verifying benefit eligibility. You know, was this person really an employee of my customer? Was this really this person's salary? And there's a lot of back and forth. And if you're covering group life and disability, you may not be asking for that level of information because these claims are so infrequent, but they're not happening potentially, you know, once every few weeks, like a, a prescription drug coverage, but they are happening. And, and when they do that, just settling them is cumbersome. But now imagine if that benefit eligibility is accelerated greatly by this connectivity into an HR admin platform, disability carrier can see into that and greatly accelerate all this benefit eligibility, income verification, all those sorts of things. And you can get to really making an impact on that, that claimant's life, helping them manage them to a better return to work out, having lower IBNR on your balance sheet, lower capital strain. So this really unlocks a lot of value uh, to have this connectivity, even in just looking at claims, uh, let alone all the other use cases we've already described. So one of the questions we talked about is in order to grow profitable revenue, um, insurers really need to break through certain inhibitors, uh, such as expending that employee mind share beyond health insurance and having access to that relevant employee information. And also to a point that we've kind of been touching on, finding ways to avoid disintermediation of the employee through brokers or employers or benefit administrators. How can insurers do this? Mark, I know you've got some pretty interesting thoughts on this. I think something that carriers have, if, if, they, if they know who they're covering a little bit better, they can probably be a little bit more nuanced in terms of how they make appeals to them and create relationships that can potentially extend beyond that period in which the employee has a relationship with their employer. You know, we all change jobs. Some of us, unfortunately, get fired. Some of us retire, right? And usually in those moments, if we're going to another job, you know, we're, we're a good risk and we'll find coverage elsewhere. If we don't have another job to go to, you know, maybe we're a worse risk than everybody else and, and we're a port or a conversion of a, of a life policy. And so maybe that's not the right time to try and exploit this relationship that you have the potential to make between the group carrier and the employee. So I think it, it's really important to, while you have the employee's attention, likely in an enrollment cycle, to do things to kind of create a different relationship with the employee and something that's a little stickier. You know, Abby, I think you've, you've got some passion around this topic of, you know, selling service-related products in, into this group as well and differentiating what product sits with them and things along those lines, right? Yeah, of course. But that's going to start, you know, to your point on before the employee leaves the organization, can you create the right set of changes or incentives that allow you to convert that that employee into more of a direct customer, right? 
and can you do that in a more effective manner and i don't know mark like if you want to chime in in terms of you know risk factor here in terms of pricing right because the pricing is going to be very different as a part of the group versus part individual customer yeah that that's also true i think because the the chance of anti selection is higher you know when when a, a employee is leaving the organization there's a potential for higher claims and therefore higher premiums are charged but if for example you know your connectivity into the platform creates ways for you to understand when the employees you're covering are going through life events maybe those are opportunities when anti selection risk is lower that you can find a way to exploit the relationship you know for example someone's adding a dependent or you're aware that you you have a way to become aware that someone's pregnant or or even you your organization doesn't need to know that um one of your covered employees is getting has gotten had a child and might want more life insurance maybe you can just make an arrangement with the benefit administrator that when such events happen you don't even need to be told but that they could trigger an outreach to the the person in that moment that could be uh, a little bit more of a a sales related appeal rather than just some notice hey by the way you've gone through a life of event you can re-enroll in benefits imagine if that message which already happens today were enhanced with a message that said by the way you know parents of two children with income in your range tend to have you know $500,000 in life insurance we see you only have 200,000 perhaps it's a good time for you to consider buying up your life insurance benefit so th- these are the little things that if carriers get creative and try and leverage their access to understand these moments that they could exploit and i think increase their top line yeah and you see this happening a lot on the retirement you know 401k and all in that space right so i think we got to challenge a little bit conventional wisdom uh, and see if we can create some new ways of thinking and new ways of driving that behavior right off the bat there will be some hesitancy from a data standpoint and you know sensitivity to sharing some of the events you know mark talked about and the carrier doesn't need to do that but the employer is a part of their you know value prop and is a part of their understanding of their own employees can find meaningful ways to engage and then going back to the earlier conversation the needs to your point around those life events if i'm aware can i proactively um offer additional sort of you know areas of support and you can look into creating a value proposition that is win win both for the insurer as well as the employer or any other third party provider right but that's an afterthought the first starting point would be just a shift in terms of thinking from from that perspective abi i'm totally glad to hear you bring up the uh, 401k space as well I-, i think there's a real hesitancy on the part of group carriers to have the mentality that people just won't be receptive to my outreach if i want to sell add-on services to the employee but certainly 401k providers also have arms that uh, sell financial advisory services and you can be certain that many of the 401k providers are definitely accessing or marketing those financial advisory services to their 401k covered lives so i don't see why group insurance has to be any different in terms of making an appeal to the customer exactly like i mean you do see personally you know you, you may have like a 401k with a brokerage entity but with the same entity you know I, i certainly would love to have 
retirement plan also there, right? It uh, makes management easier. And I'm sure like, you know, Mark, your point, you know, they have access to the data. So I, I don't know why that notion and that principle wouldn't apply to uh, something like an employee benefits space. Totally agree. I'm going to begin to wrap this up and I'll start with you, Abby. So where do you see after all of our conversation here and everything that's kind of going on, where do you see the LNA group and benefits industry in the next three years and in the future of insurance? And then I'll ask Mark the same question. I think the key question post-pandemic, and it would be amiss if I don't hit on the pandemic aspect of it, you know, whenever and whatever that new future looks like, sustaining that digital engagement, sustaining that virtual ways of working and engaging, being able to do business because I, I don't think we're going back to the normal ways of working, right? And you see a lot of discussion around hybrid models of work. How do you continue to sustain that change environment, both from an internal you know, organizational standpoint, as well as, you know, externally, as you, as you do business with brokers and customers across, you know, group as well as voluntary, right? So that's number one thing that's going to be critical to watch. And you will see investments within that space to cover the new normal. Number two, I think, you know, we will continue to see acceleration in terms of those digital investments that carriers are making even more so now to really go after, you know, replacing and or ripping, you know, some of the, you know, legacy technologies that exist today within their organization. So I, I totally anticipate, you know, that to pick, continue to pick up pace even more so. And number three, to Mark's point, access to data, better connectivity, and then leveraging, you know, as you go through, you know, if, if you think about the core and like, you know, operating model transformations that hinge on like technology changes or technology, large-scale technology implementations, those are going to be longer-term plays, right? But while that is happening, I certainly see, you know, innovation in terms of, you know, APIs, in terms of data and AI in a more thoughtful manner and going after solving some of the traditional challenges while that modernization is still in flight. So how do you pick the right set of advanced technologies and incrementally uh, continue to drive value while some of these larger programs come to fruition. I think that's going to be, we'll continue to see a lot of that. I agree with Abi quite a bit. I think, you know, the pandemic, you know, if there's a silver lining to it, you know, there's, maybe there's an expression, maybe I'm making it up, but I, I doubt I am. Don't waste a, a crisis, right? And I, I think, you know, people really got in the trenches and really started to innovate and build out tools and technologies much faster, just out of pure necessity to kind of digitize aspects of the value chain. I, I think it would be a real shame if that rate of innovation or that spirit of innovation uh, dissipated as we start coming out of the pandemic, because I think it's been really good ultimately for the customer uh, in, in getting better served. The concern I have actually is, is that that spirit and, and that behavior of innovating will wane and the real driver for it causing it to, to wane is the, the need to operate in that mode may dry up, perceived to, to have dried up, because I think we're sitting in front of an era of inflation as well. I think we're sitting here, it's June 18th as we're recording this, and I, I believe it was yesterday or the day before that the Fed raised its expectations on inflation. Yeah. And I think just a lot of signals out there in the economy are that 
you know, inflation will start to take off. And that includes wage inflation, which is a major driver of a, a lot of the revenue of, of group and voluntary carriers. And so they may see a lot of top line growth in the next few years. Hopefully they'll, they'll use it and exploit the momentum they've, they've put in place during the pandemic to continue to innovate and evolve and better serve. And, and hopefully they don't rest on the, the laurels. Revenue hopefully uh, matches pace with inflation. So last question for both of you. Mark, I'll start with you. Uh, if you could pick one word to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? Uh, connected. And the why is, I think there's kind of two forms of connection there. One is insurers being better connected up to their group customers and to the employees thereof. And then the second is, I think the employees will, will figure out a way to kind of continue to be better connected to everything in their ecosystem through their phones, inclusive of accessing information about their benefits there. Right. And Abby? Digitization. For all the reasons we talked today, I think that's what I see the future to be. Part of that has to do with being connected. Part of that has to be around better experiences to employers or employees. Part of that could be expanding into adjacent markets that we talked about. Part of that could also be large-scale transformation as a part of your you know, broader digital transformation agenda. So digitization will be the future, uh, if you will, both from bottom line as well as you know, top line that Mark alluded to earlier. Well, thanks, Abby and Mark, for, for the conversation today. It's been fun working with you, uh, both of you, as well as Dave with regard to the roundtables that we've had and the conversations that we're having with insurers in the industry. And I'm looking forward to more of them because I think there's so much opportunity out there that is just on the threshold of a lot of insurers being able to really capture that uh, with the right technologies, the right data, the right AI, machine learning, all the things that we talked about and the right kind of operating model to, Abby, to your point, to make sure that uh, we can be as efficient and effective as possible. So Thanks for the partnership and thanks for the conversation and looking forward to more, guys. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Denise.